It's so weird. You tell a woman that every skill worth having requires some sort of finesse, and that makes sense to them. But you say that marriage requires skill, and women are like, why does it have to be so complicated? No, it's not complicated. Marriage skills require finesse, just like any other skill set. That's a mindset we need to get into if we're going to succeed. Today we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago where we stated that it's not a sin for women to work and it's not a sin for wives to manage finances, but that discernment is demanded of a wife with regards to how and when and why she works and or plays a part in the financial management. This discernment is needed because on one end of the spectrum, if a wife is overly involved, before a husband has confidence in his ability to provide for his family, then the longer that she is involved, the more comfortable he becomes with her assistance, the more tempted he is to abdicate his headship, the easier it is for the devil to play on his fears regarding his incompetence and self-worth, and this can result in husband's emasculation. On the other end of the spectrum, there are wives who insist on working or insist on managing the finances because they want a measure of control, which ultimately is disrespectful towards their husband, and they are deliberately emasculating him. If you listened to our spotlight last week, you heard our commentary regarding toxic femininity as it is illustrated in detail in Carrie Gress's The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. And you know that the behaviors in a wife, which are on the hostile end of the spectrum, are properly recognized as truly diabolical behaviors. Here is another quote from that book which describes emasculation and the role that toxic feminism plays in accomplishing it. Quote, it is arguable that because of feminism, we live in an unrecognized matrilineage, where the current matriarchy is doing what they always do, setting men adrift, unmooring them from authentic responsibility, a sense of purpose, and a mission. End quote. And to that point, ladies, I want to add this quote from Sacred Scripture. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, quote, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, end quote. Ladies, this this is a very serious charge laid on our men. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, God does not remove responsibility in response to failure. So when a wife compromises her husband's ability to fulfill this God-given charge, regardless of whether it is through supposed kindness in early overextension, and how much more so when through hostility and deliberate emasculation, that's, that's a big problem. A wife answers for that. That is her own sin. No one is forcing 
overly helpful wives to overextend themselves, and certainly no one is forcing wives to be deliberately hostile, controlling, and manipulative. Those are all her own choices, and therefore all her own sins. Okay, so my husband recommended that I share some tips on what a wife can do to encourage her husband and facilitate his thriving at work and in financial management, and also what a wife can do to surrender the finances to her husband, which is what I had to do. What went wrong in our marriage, at least in those specific areas of work and finances? Basically, what happened was that my husband was without a job two months into our marriage. And frankly, that was a decision that I thoroughly supported because it was miserable watching him suffer in an environment run by, you guessed it, toxic feminists who took advantage of him and backstabbed him and trampled on him in a million ways and broke my husband down. And we're going to be talking a little more about this sort of situation um, a couple of episodes from now. The mistake that I made though was overextending myself. At the time, we were debt-free. We were debt-free when we got married, but since I became the breadwinner temporarily, I thought that I needed to also be completely in charge of the finances. Back in November, I shared this quote from Colleen Hammond, quote, women themselves do not admire a circumstance in which the wife is the head of the family, since the woman who rules her husband may despise him precisely because he allows her to dominate him, end quote. And this is exactly what happened to us. When women manage the finances for the family, men feel disconnected from and have no relationship with the money, regardless of whether it's the money their wife is earning or the money they're earning. And so when they don't have a relationship with the money, as we've said, that's problematic because God designed man to associate money management with his sense of self-worth. So my husband's self-esteem was low because he was A, not working, and B, I had effectively disconnected him from the cash flow. And so I made it easy for the devil to prey on my husband's fears regarding his competence and self-worth. And I made room for the devil to tempt my husband with those objectively sinful, addictive activities which ultimately led to my husband and I living apart for almost a year. Two weeks ago, we shared this quote from Stephen Wood, quote, Hard work is an overlooked way to build virtue and restrain those vices fueled by prosperous ease, end quote. Well, my husband had a new job within a couple of months, and I, at least had the sense to support him through a major industry change and encourage him to do whatever he thought was best for himself. But where I continued to emasculate him was that I retained management of the finances. Now, I won't make a blanket statement that the following is always true, But the conversations and the relationship coaching that I've received have given me reason to believe that the following is true for most women, 
versus most men when it comes to managing money for a household. Number one, when women manage the finances for a household, they expect their husbands to be as sacrificial as themselves. When women manage the finances for a household, they expect their husbands to be as sacrificial as themselves. When a wife manages a budget and dictates for her husband how much he can spend on any given thing, if she is making any sacrifices or curbs her own spending in any way to make the budget work, she expects her husband to make equal sacrifices, equal being a relative term that's entirely dependent on her to define. Making equal sacrifices is her idea of working together, of being responsible together. And if her husband fails to curb his spending according to her idea of what is fair, she resents that she is the one making sacrifices for the family and he is apparently in her eyes not on the other hand men when they manage the finances for the household provided that they feel appreciated trusted and accepted will make all sorts of sacrifices while striving to remain generous with their wife and their children when men feel appreciated, trusted, and accepted, they will make great sacrifices on their own part and do everything they can to spare those entrusted to them from any hardship. Number two, when women manage finances for the household, unless in truly dire straits, they will look to cut corners to stay within their income. When men manage finances for a household, provided, again, this is very important, provided that they feel accepted, trusted, and appreciated, if they see that expenses consistently exceed, exceed income, they look for ways to make more money in order to continue to provide for their wives and any children the same quality of lifestyle, if not better. That could mean working more hours, that could mean getting a second job, that could mean pursuing a promotion, but a man who feels accepted, trusted, and appreciated will generally not ask his family to consider moving into a smaller apartment, or give up extracurricular activities, or forego vacations in order to make the budget work. These are things that women do especially when they are the primary breadwinners. Whereas men, when they feel respected by their wives, when they are able to draw confidence from their wives' unconditional respect, they seek to do what will either maintain or grow their own confidence. So something like a promotion is obviously great for their self-esteem. And a respectful wife is a huge motivation for pursuing something which will enable a husband to provide for her in a way which signals his gratitude towards her. 
Number three, when, ma- when women manage finances for their household, if there are children, wives tend to prioritize their children over their husband. They will spend more willingly on their children's activities than on their husband's legitimate needs for self-care. When men manage finances, and again, provided that they feel accepted, trusted, and appreciated, they prioritize the well-being of their wife over the privileges of their children. Women have this attitude that parents should make sacrifices for their children, and they are not wrong. But they often wallow in resentment if they feel that they are sacrificing more for their kids than their husband is. On the other hand, men whose hearts are well cared for recognize that the pleasantness of the home is directly tied to their wives' well-being. And so their generosity towards their wife is one way in which they jealously guard the haven of home. And when I use the word jealous here, I am using it as it is found in Exodus 34, 14, describing our God as a jealous God. So now with all of that said, even though my husband was working, I was fighting to keep us out of debt by being stingy with myself and expecting him to be just as stingy with himself. And it was miserable. (laughs) Aside from the self-esteem aspect, when a husband is in charge of monitoring and managing the cash flow, he feels a certain urgency to earn enough to be able to provide well. Take that responsibility away and you effectively remove the reason for him to develop that sense of urgency. Then, when a wife, after having overextended herself, starts to pick up on her husband's lack of urgency, how does she communicate that? By complaining, right? By complaining about his attitude, by complaining about his incompetence, by complaining about the quality of her life that is directly tied to how little he makes. And if she's working, by complaining about her hours, by complaining about the stress, by complaining about her additional responsibilities in the home, by complaining about how he doesn't pick up the slack to make up for the fact that she's having to work also. And he doesn't hear her. Because as we've pointed out before, complaining is not communicating. Not to mention, no one is attracted to complainers. (laughs) So they're not going to do anything. And on the subject of attraction, women striving for holiness are not attracted to emasculated men. A woman who enjoys emasculating men and finds them attractive only when they are submissive to her is not a holy woman. A holy woman wants to see her husband succeed according to God's designs for him. If she finds submission in a man attractive, she has embraced evil. She has embraced the lies of demons. She has chosen an objectively diabolical path and is an objectively cruel woman. Because she rejects the authority of both her husband and of God, 
the authority of her husband over her being ordained by God. This is what Colleen Hammond means when she says, quote, the woman who rules her husband may despise him precisely because he allows her to dominate him, end quote. Her use of the word may versus will is consistent with the truth that we can dispose ourselves towards good or we can dispose ourselves towards evil. St. Thomas Aquinas says, quote, the things that we love tell us what we are, end quote. And so a woman who loves to see a man being trampled on is an evil woman. Now, unfortunately, even many women who are generally disposed towards the good, when overextending themselves with the best of intentions, do not make the connection between their contribution to their husband's emasculation and the decreasing attraction between them. So bringing this back to work and finances, if it goes on long enough where a woman is the primary breadwinner or manages the finances in a situation where a husband has a lack of confidence in his ability to handle either, there will result a significantly decreased lack of attraction between them. And I'm not, I'm not just saying sexual attraction, ladies. I'm talking about that simplicity and innocence of dating where you felt like the other person could do no wrong. That's not all or exclusively sexual. That's just a determination to focus on what's good in the objectively flawed person before you. So what do you do? Sorry, I know I keep saying I'm getting to this. We're going to talk about what to do um, in three distinct situations. First, we will talk about what to be doing if you're blessed to be in a situation where your husband is currently the breadwinner and currently managing the finances because this is the ideal situation and you do want to do everything you can to help your husband thrive in these areas. That's properly your role as helpmeet. But also we're going to talk about how to communicate your needs because you are spending, obviously, and there's respectful ways to ask for money and there are disrespectful ways to ask for money. Also, it's very probable that if you're in this ideal situation, um, that you are the one who has a better awareness of how much is actually needed each month for things like groceries, for the kids with regards to clothes and diapers and extracurricular activities, and when there are one-off expenses like uniform upgrades or storage solutions. And there is a respectful way to make your husband aware of what's needed to cover these expenses. Then, second scenario, we will talk about what to do if you are currently overextending yourself with regards to financial management. We will talk about the signs of overextension versus a healthy situation because, again, it's not, it's not automatically a bad thing for a wife to be assisting with the finances. There's just a right time and a right way to do it. 
and also a wrong time and a wrong way. And ultimately, we'll talk about a game plan for handing the finances over to your husband. My husband and I had a long talk about this, um, and we're pretty confident that what I'm going to be sharing is the best way to do it. And then we'll talk about situations where the wife is the primary or sole breadwinner. And there's a lot to say about this situation. How do you discern if you're in the 1% where this reversal of roles is truly necessary? What do you do if it's not truly necessary, but your husband is resistant to making it right? If you are truly in the 1%, what do you need to be doing to ensure that this role reversal is not emasculating your husband? Again, long conversation with my husband about this, and I'm excited to share his recommendations with you. So let's start tackling the first scenario, what you can and should be doing if your husband is already the breadwinner and manager of the finances. And all of this is really just applying the discipline of joy with greater awareness and intentionality. Number one, listen when he talks to you about his work. Listening is a skill. It requires practice and several items from the examen, which we introduced in episode 14, apply here. When he's talking about work, are you giving him your full attention? Are you looking for opportunities to correct him or set him straight if he expresses an opinion with which you disagree? Are you interjecting with unsolicited helpful suggestions? Are you criticizing what he's doing at work or how he's handling specific situations there? Are you comparing him to his colleagues and pointing out how he could be more like this guy or that guy at his workplace? If you've been in similar situations to what he's dealing with at work, are you telling him how you would do things, implying that how he's handling things is wrong? And even if you are keeping your mouth shut, are you allowing yourself to abuse and insult your husband in your head while he's talking to you? Because even if you stay silent, your disapproval or displeasure comes out on your face. When your husband talks to you about work, listen to learn, not to teach. Number two, if your husband shares with you that he's finding things difficult or stressful at work, he wants sympathy, not empathy. Your husband does not tell you about these things with the intention of transferring his stress to you. Your husband wants to be able to relax at home. Sometimes a precursor to relaxation is verbal processing, which we as women should be able to understand very easily. The majority of us women do it all the time. But the key thing to understand about your husband is that once he's done talking about it, he's done talking about it. He does not want you dwelling on it. He doesn't want you to keep asking questions that force him to dwell on it. The best way that you can show your husband that you care about what he's telling you is to help him to put it aside. He's going to be going back to that situation presumably the next morning. 
While he may need to get some things off of his chest, he does not want to spend his entire evening at home thinking about it. Help your husband to put work aside. We will talk more about this shortly. Number three, if you ask any questions in the course of conversation, ask clarifying questions, not leading questions. This goes back to number one, listen to learn, not to teach. If you ask questions, ask questions which help you learn about his work. Do not ask him questions which are intended to lead him to think or act or speak as you would think or act or speak in a given situation. Number four, when in the course of a conversation your husband asks a question which reveals some measure of uncertainty on his part, build him up rather than answer the question directly. Let me say that again because this one is extremely important. When in the course of a conversation your husband asks a question which reveals some measure of uncertainty on his part, build him up rather than answer the question directly. This one takes a lot of humility and the purest love. It demands sacrificing your ego and recognizing that it is healthy for your husband and therefore good for your family, for your husband to be proud of and confident in himself and that helping him to feel so matters more than you being able to display your own knowledge or skill. So examples, if he asks something like, what do you think I should do? Even if you think you know what he should do, start seeing questions like these as opportunities to respond with something like, I believe that you're the best person to make the right decisions, and I'm sure that's why your boss picked you to handle this. Or if he asks, do you think I did the right thing? If you're struggling to just say yes, say something else, which is still a confidence booster for him and assures him of your confidence and trust in him. Like, I know that you always put your best foot forward. My goodness, how much love and discipline it takes for a wife to find ways to die to herself when her husband asks a question, which might be an easy way for her to feed her own ego, but she chooses to sacrifice that moment and contribute to his health and happiness. Number five, make home pleasant. This should go without saying, but... As fulfilled as a man is by his work, home should be made to be more pleasant than work. He should want to come home, and it's up to you to make home lovely to come home too. The home is your domain. Yes, he's head of the household, but he spends the majority of his waking hours at work. Home is your place to make delightful. A man does not want to come home from a stressful job to a stressful home. 
If you're thinking that home is stressful because he's not helping, consider the quote we heard from John Gray a few weeks ago, that men love to feel needed, but are put off by neediness. Your husband will love helping when he is certain that his help is appreciated and will fill you with joy. He will help less and less if he gets the sense that no matter how much he does or tries to do, that you're going to continue to be stressed and angry and resentful anyway. And to that point, these next two things. Number six, do not begrudge your husband his decompression time. So many wives struggle with this, and what they don't realize is that their husband is actually displaying great wisdom. You need your rest. That's why we started out with the discipline of joy, with learning about our responsibility to ourselves to take times of recreational rest, both planned and spontaneous. Your husband knows that he needs to decompress so that he can put his best foot forward at work the next day. You need to recognize how important it is for you to work in decompression times throughout your day in order to continue to be able to put your best foot forward throughout the day. If you're thinking to yourself, well, as a stay-at-home wife, a stay-at-home mom, I never get a break. Lady, it's your responsibility to give yourself a break. Your husband can't do that for you. There is a problem if the only time you can decompress is if he takes over your entire load for several hours. When he takes time to decompress, you're not taking over his job at that time. His job is on hold, but he has to go right back to it, right where he left off. You're not doing anything to further his work while he's decompressing. If the only way that you can decompress is if he takes over all your housework and watches all the kids so that you can go off gallivanting wherever you please, there's a problem. Once in a while, he might be able to take over some portion. He might be able to watch the kids. And at that time, he might let the chores go so that you can go out with your girlfriends. If you come home from something like that and get angry at what he hasn't done in your absence, he's not going to be inclined to do it again. Because clearly, whatever it is that you went out for did not dispose you to return with joy to your family. If you're coming home and you're immediately ungrateful and dissatisfied, then whatever it was you did to enjoy yourself while you were away was purely selfish. For your husband to do well at work, for him to continue to provide, for him to have the energy to provide more by doing things like pursuing promotions or higher education or even a side gig or a second job, if he is to have energy to give you more, if he is to make enough money to be more generous with you, then he needs his rest. And it is for him to determine what that rest looks like. He will be more inclined to be generous with you with regards to his time also, if you are not dictating how much of his time must be given to you, or dictating what he is to be doing with his time when he's not spending it helping you. If you allow him cheerfully to be the master of his own time, he will be more inclined to give of his time to you. Number seven, 
thank him all the time. And don't just say thank you for working hard. A much better way to thank your husband for providing for you is to thank him for what his work enables you to do and what his work enables you to have. And you see, if you make a point of this, you'll never run out of things to thank him for because you'll always be acquiring new material goods. You'll always be having new experiences specific to various seasons of life. Thank him all the time for what his work enables you to do and what his work enables you to have. We're going to stop here for today. We focused entirely on how to help your husband thrive in his role as breadwinner. Next week, we're going to pick up right here and go into the second half of this scenario and talk about how to help your husband thrive as the financial manager. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.